your hope as we gather around the good news of his son's love. Amen. When was the last time you hosted a gathering? We're planning right now on our uh, Lent fellowship dinners as a congregation, right, to gather together around meals. If you didn't know that, the first one's going to be uh, this Wednesday up at the Parsonage. If you didn't know already, you're so very much invited and very much welcome. Hope you can be there. Right. We, we enjoy hosting. Uh, we enjoy gathering together with people. We enjoy spending time with people. And isn't there something that, that's just so, so lovely about that, right, especially after these last couple of years? There's just something wonderful about being with people, about gathering together with people you care about, about providing an atmosphere, right? That's maybe the especially beautiful part about hosting, providing this, this atmosphere, bringing people into uh, a place where you are, are giving them something to enjoy, an atmosphere of, of uh, comfort, of love. Dinners, of course, aren't the only reason that we as humans gather. And we gather for all kinds of different reasons. We gather in our workplaces for meetings so that we can share information. Uh, we gather at our kids' sports games. We gather all the time. It's part of being human. There's a gathering described in our text, the gospel reading that we're looking at today. It's a gathering of the Sanhedrin. That's the, the ruling council of Judea. Now, to understand this gathering, so during Jesus' life here on earth, Israel, or Judea, as it was also called, did not exist as its own separate political entity. Israel was ruled by the Roman Empire at the time, and before that, they had been ruled by other empires. Israel had not been independent fully for over 500 years when Jesus was alive. So the Sanhedrin, this, this ruling council, you could maybe think kind of like the state legislature of one of our states here in the U.S., right? Some limited autonomy, some power to administer themselves, but subordinate. They were subordinate to the Roman Senate, the, the far-off legislative body of the, the great Roman Empire. And as a reminder of the fact that they were subordinate to the Roman Empire, you would walk the streets of Jerusalem and constantly see Heavily armed, heavily armored Roman soldiers patrolling the streets of the capital, reminding everyone who saw them that Israel was not independent, that Israel was ruled by outsiders. The Sanhedrin gathers because they need to protect that status. You can kind of think of the, the Sanhedrin as having the same relationship to Rome as maybe the Afghani government had up until last year with America. Right? The Sanhedrin was supported by Rome. The Sanhedrin was backed by Rome because the Sanhedrin was willing to work with Rome. And in Afghanistan, there was a government that was supported by us, that was backed by us because they were willing to work with us. Sanhedrin liked that arrangement. The Sanhedrin wanted to protect that arrangement. And so in our text, this gathering that's called together comes about because they're afraid of losing that, that particular arrangement that they have, that status that they have. They gather together to talk about this Jesus issue. You see, the Sanhedrin is afraid that there's going to be a political movement kicking off around Jesus with him as its leader. 
they're afraid that the Romans are not going to approve of any kind of political movement that Jesus might bring about. You see, new Israelite political movements during the time of Roman rule sort of had this pattern of mushrooming into total war, um, open rebellion against Roman rule. And it had been a while since the last really big one, but even during Jesus' own lifetime, there was at least one sizable resistance movement that grew up around a man named Judas of Galilee. And that ended when Judas disappeared to history. No one knows what happened to him, but his two eldest sons, co-conspirators in this rebellion, were executed by the Romans. Jesus was probably somewhere between six and ten years old at the time of Judas' resistance. The Sanhedrin, no doubt, sensed that the next big revolt was just around the corner. And that was concerning for them. It would be a problem for them. Again, the only reason that the Sanhedrin had any power of any kind was because they were working with Rome. The only reason that the Sanhedrin had any power was because they had shown Rome up to this point that they could manage their malcontent compatriots. They could keep things in line as Rome wanted it. But the crowds gather around Jesus, and his movement seems to gain traction, and the Sanhedrin starts to worry. Verse 48, they say, if we let him, Jesus, go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. The Romans will see this as a blossoming insurrection, and they are going to nip it in the bud. You see, Israel was important to Rome, and that's maybe the main difference that you could characterize between Israel and Rome's relationship and America and Afghanistan. Right. Ultimately, America pulled its troops out last year because we could no longer make a compelling case for staying there. Why were we still propping up this government? Why were we still sending our troops over there? We didn't need to be there, the thinking went. For Rome, it was different. They needed Israel. Israel was a buffer state. There were enemy empires, enemy nations on the other side of Israel. Israel acted as a strategic necessity, a buffer for Rome. And so Rome saw any political movement threatening rebellion against them as a national security crisis. If a new movement grew up around Jesus that threatened the stability of what the Romans had built, as the Sanhedrin says, the Romans will come in and take away both our temple and our nation. They will take away our power, the limited autonomy we have, the influence we hold. They will take away our nation. They will take away our temple, the worship of God. The Sanhedrin was afraid. Therefore, they gathered to figure out what they needed to do. Fear motivated their gathering. Fear of losing control. Fear about the future. And think about this. Ostensibly, you could say they were gathered for the same reason that we are gathered today. They were gathered to talk about Jesus. They were gathered because they had heard the good news of Jesus preaching. They had heard about his miracles, that he had raised a man from the dead was the precipitating incident here. They had heard about his love, his goodness. But those weren't really the things that motivated the Sanhedrin to gather to talk about Jesus. They gathered because they were afraid. Afraid of losing control. Afraid of the future. 
Why are we gathered today? Are we gathered because we think this is a good thing to do, a, a thing that looks good to God and looks good to other people? There's a story that G.K. Chesterton, a British writer, tells of a man he knew who would walk around on Sunday mornings with a Bible under his arm and never actually went to church. And Chesterton says that when the man was finally asked by a, uh, another acquaintance, why do you do that? He said, well, I do it as an example to others. They should be in church. I intend to remind them of that. Well, okay, so you all are here. You're in church, right? You're, you're beyond that step of that guy. But are you gathered because it seems like a good thing to do, to remind other people to, to be good yourself? Are you gathered? Are you motivated to gather here because this place makes you feel important and needed? Because this is a place where you feel necessary. Right? There's been a lot of work over these last eight years that the members have had to pick up here. Has that become part of the reason that, that you gather here? Because this is a place that provides you with that feeling of being needed. Are you gathered here because it's part of your routine? And to lose that part of your routine would just be too unsettling. Why have we gathered here this morning? Why are we here? The Sanhedrin was gathered because they were afraid. And they were angry. That's why they gathered. Those are powerful emotions. They had power and influence that they did not want to lose. So they gathered. But we are gathered for a different reason. We're gathered for a reason that goes totally beyond any of the motivations that our sinful hearts would try to interpose in our gathering together. Our text tells us why we're gathered. Verse 52 says, God gathers his scattered children to make them one in Jesus. We're gathered because God's Holy Spirit has brought us together. And our sinful nature dangerously pushes us to focus on individualistic needs that are fulfilled when we gather together. This need to feel needed, this need to feel important and necessary to others, this need that we have for routine, for familiarity. That church can fill both of those needs if we sort of misunderstand the reason for coming here. But we are actually gathered here because we're aware of a need we have that goes beyond those selfish needs, those needs to feel important, those needs to feel necessary. We need to belong. As humans, we crave community. We want to gather. That's the way God made us. That's something he placed in us at creation. He created the very first human being with, with this craving, this desire for company, for others. He answers that need. He scratches that deep human itch. So we gather together here in church. But we don't gather around nothing, right? Humans never gather around nothing. We gather around dinners. We gather around games. We gather around political movements sometimes. Here we gather around the gospel. This is God at work. 
bringing together a community of people who may very well during the week gather together around very different things, right? Maybe during the week you gather with other people around uh, red politics or blue politics. Maybe uh, during the week you gather with other people around this sports team or that sports team. Maybe during the week you gather around tea or coffee. No matter what you gather around during the week, here we're gathered around the gospel. And in that we are one. No matter what gathers us during the week, here we're gathered around the blood of Jesus Christ. Right? This is what Paul wrote in our reading from Ephesians. In Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by Jesus' blood. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but members of God's household. Here we are gathered by God around the message of complete and total forgiveness. It can be painful when we forget that. It can be painful when we disorder our understanding of the gathering of God's people, right? It's painful for us when we view church, when we understand church, when we engage with church as this place where we get to feel important and necessary and exert control and power because God will take that away from us to humble us for our good. It's a problem for us, and it's dangerous, and it's painful when church becomes a place of of dull familiarity and routine, not because we shouldn't feel comfortable here, but because we lose the idea of what this is, the shockingness of the gospel. So God will upend those, those comfortable routines for our good. He does all this to refocus us, to recenter us. He does all this to remind us that he is the one at work gathering us here. He does all this to remind us that this place does not belong to us, but to him. Just as we do not belong to ourselves, but to him. This place where God gathers us together belongs to him. You belong to him. He bought you with the blood of Jesus Christ, his son. So you do belong here. We belong here. We belong in this place where God gathers us, not to make us feel useful, not to give us power. Here we gather around God's gifts, his grace, his love. That's what grace means, a gift-giving love, this love that shows itself by giving gifts. How does God show his grace? He gave his son, Jesus Christ, for us. How does God show his gift giving, his grace, love? He gives us tangible forgiveness in the sacraments. How does God show his gift giving love? He gathers us together with other believers for support, for encouragement, for mutual consolation. That's what we named our church after the grace of God, gift giving, love of God. We gather around. It's what defines us. It's what we proclaim every time we gather in worship. God's grace, his gifts, his love, not our own. Gather here around the gospel, brothers and sisters. Amen.